Welcome to Getting Real Estate with Josh and Casey. Josh Lenhart from Director's Mortgage. And I'm Casey Spore with John L. Scott. Welcome back, you guys. This is part two of our interview with our appraiser friend, Joey Jackson. Uh, we're going to go ahead and continue on where we left off. He was providing us a ton of great information. Yeah, we've gone over a lot of great stuff, so we just want to kind of keep the conversation going. All right. From the appraiser standpoint, um, you know, like what are some of the, this is sort of a two-part, mm-hmm. for people who are looking to sell their homes, what are the things that you would like recommend slash what are the most common issues that you maybe see when you go into doing an appraisal that is either making it subject to like repairs or fixes that need to be done or things that they can do to prepare their house to either increase their value or just give them the best chance of things coming bit. Everybody's wanting the highest value possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So from an appraiser standpoint, I mean, you are basically there to judge and determine the value. You're observing right. to make sure this is what the bank is lending is true. Mm-hmm. What can they do to help themselves in that arena? So, of your value is pretty much already accounted for, Mm -hmm. right? And that is, that's going to be your location, your site size, and your square footage. Right. That is, that's going to be most of it in most cases. Certainly exceptions exist. Uh, But when you look at that, you know, you can, you can just see any house, if it was here, it's worth this, if it was there, it's worth that. So we're really talking about a, a minor amount of moving the needle. I would say square footage is not financially feasible to do to increase the value of your home because it costs more than it gets you. So right. at like additions, yeah, additions, it's not really going to yeah. bring you immense value in resale. No, it, it will certainly increase the value, but it, right. dude, construction prices are high. Yeah, you know? comparatively, what yeah. you're going to recoup from that, it's not like, oh my gosh, I'm going to add on. You're dumping 50 grand and you're only right. adding $25,000 of value. Yeah, you yeah. know, something like that. You know, we'll use rough numbers so I don't have the data in front of you. But the, the idea, and the, I get this actually, this question from borrowers. They'll be refinanced and they'll be like, hey, what do you think I should do? I'm thinking about doing this, thinking of doing that. And I always tell them the same thing. Don't think about the value of your home when you spend money on your home. Right. Think about what you want out of this house. Mm-hmm. Because the houses that sell for the most are the most obviously cared for homes. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you go into someone's house and they're interesting and they garden and they have hanging plants and they have things. People buy those homes yeah. because the people who live there are cool. You know, like that's, that's a thing that happens. That's yeah. true. And that's so, actually very true. And so if you, if you go into your home and you say, I don't like this about the home for me, mm-hmm. and then you go about changing that, it may or may not increase the value of your home, but you'll like it more. Right. You know, and that's really the point, you know, using your home to make money is not a great way to do it. You can, there's certainly ways to do that. But ultimately, that's like the real estate investing side, not the can we do this tweak and somehow get more money out of it. But like to answer your question, like more directly, it's the kitchen. Yeah, the kitchen is the kitchen is the thing that's one. I think it's the most cost effective to Mm -hmm. update. Okay, Mm -hmm. and uh, cupboards, paint. Yeah. You paint, listen, go into any place that's that's nice and new right now, all right? They've got some sort of green or off blue or something on the bottom, and they've got white on the top on the countertops. They went and they got, uh, you know, some sort of probably gray quartz uh, and put it on the countertops, and they did a subway tile backsplash. And they probably spent, and not no money, but, you know, like 
five to ten thousand dollars, and they mm-hmm. they probably improved the value of their home, probably at least that much, maybe a little more. But the better part is now your kitchen's awesome. Now your kitchen looks so nice. Yeah. yeah. Now it's a great color choice. Now I, when you go to sell your house, <laughs> it is basic, but it looks nice. No, it does look. Well, I mean, we have a tile backsplash, so I can't talk. Yeah, exactly. But like you know, the the big thing about doing stuff like that is that you find this house you love, right? You mm-hmm. really want to buy it, okay? So you put your offer in, and now you got to sell your house, and then you look at your house and you go, "Oh crap, I didn't do. I had this list. I've been here yeah. three years." What, what all these things I was going to do with my fence is falling over. Right. Oh, my, my grass is overgrown. Everything in the garden is dead, you know? And it's like, none of those things individually are going to like, the, the, the data is not complete enough for me to say from an appraisal standpoint that that makes your house worth less. But my experience tells me that people who have homes that they love sell them faster. Typically, and that's yeah. what I like because there's, uh, you know, curb appeal and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like there's this, I don't know, it's this rumor or thought for feeling for it. It's like, well, if I mow and edge my lawn before the appraiser gets out there, mm-hmm. yeah. that's going to help my value. If I make sure all the plants are green and, and everything is. And it doesn't. But I do like your house more, you know, <laughs> well, <And> like, <laughs> it's good to know. Yeah. 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 And I will think more favorably. Or like, oh, gosh, I need to make sure my laundry is picked up off the floor for my appraiser to kind of like vacuum my floors. Yeah. And like, thank you, because I've been in some gross houses where they didn't do that. And I didn't like it. (laughs) That will not sway the value of your home, though. Because what I have to tell people again, I tell this all the time, is that everything that you own in that house that's not attached to the house, it's personal property, the exception of the range. Mm -hmm. The range has to stay. Dishwasher tube built-ins. Yeah. All right. But if you're, if I go into your teenager's room, your teenager's room is dirty. I am not writing dirty room. I am <laughs> writing bedroom, carpet, average condition. Because I have, to, feet. Yes, yeah. I have to envision the place as if it's empty. Because that works in the opposite where you have some real estate agents who are really good at dressing up a place. Yeah. Really, they put cool art in there. They've got the fake beds and the fake flowers, and you know the wine bottle over there and all this stuff. And people go in. There's a couple. What's agents. the term called? What is it? Staging. 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 That's where I've, you know, edging your lawn, doing your laundry. Mm. You do that to impress the offers. people I'm bringing yes. in, yes. versus impressing the appraiser. That's what's going to. Like right. Joey said, you'll it's, get more people interested in your exactly. house. Absolutely. And so I have, but the the point being is that like I can't let a dirty house make me think that your house is worse. Just because I think a lime green wall is stupid doesn't mean that your house is worth less. Paint is cheap. All right. So I, I, I early on, I would I would make condition adjustments because there was a, a badly painted purple wall. And then my supervisor would tell me, no, that's not how that works. You can't do that. And so and and so you need the opposite, you know, to be aware of that because you can't walk into a place and be like, oh, look how lovely they, they staged it up. Yeah. It must be worth more. You know, like, yeah. no, you have to stick with the data. You have to stick with, like I said, the 90 percent, which is your location, your site size and your square footage, mm-hmm. because there's not a lot you can do to trick me about that. Yeah. Right. What have you seen traditionally along those lines from an appraiser standpoint? Have you seen things, I guess, most common or most frequent that have like ended up? killing a transaction ended up like making it so that like that this house is not anything from the appraisal standpoint that you've seen. So uh, the first thing is that most deals don't get killed. Uh, Right. Most of things go through. Most real estate agents are at least okay at their job. Okay. And so they want to make it work. They want to make it work. Three weeks into the process at that point. Yeah. Yeah. But 
what from a like there are some that don't so the most common thing to kill a deal is bad contract where people just took the absolute max and there's just no data to support it and it's a real bummer and i feel bad about it but i'm not going to risk my license so that you get paid more i'm sorry mm -hmm. okay so that's that's the number one thing number two thing is unpermitted spaces uh and and the other thing about okay. unpermitted spaces and misrepresentation of space okay so for example you might pull a listing like mm -hmm. I do because you're looking for a house of X feet, right? And then you pull it and you start going through it and you go, that doesn't look like it's 2,000 square feet. Well, it turns out that the first 1,000 square feet is above grade and the second 1,000 square feet is below grade unfinished basement. Okay. They're not the same, but yeah. because real estate agent, and like I get it, right? Let's shine this thing up. Let's 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 assume every positive aspect that we can, but it comes down to like misrepresenting things. So mm -hmm. people are pricing it like it's two thousand square feet when it's really half that, and so that kills a lot of deals. Um, uh, there's new measurement rules that have to do with attics. Finished attic used to be kind of a judgment call whether or not you included it in the square footage. Now it's if it's not over seven feet for at least fifty percent of the square footage, then it's not square footage. Okay. So, okay. so a lot of homes, especially older homes, West Eugene homes, Bethel has a lot mm -hmm. of these places uh, as far as the local market goes, uh, they lost 600 square feet, right? Now, yeah. it doesn't mean it doesn't have value. It just means you can't include it in that. It means you need to do paired sales analysis, which means that you need to go find another home with a finished attic and see what that sold for so that you can derive some sort of adjustment that you can apply to homes that are traditional two-story homes or one-story homes with large square footage, what have you. And so you have you to- You can't just say 2,000 square feet, another 2,000. It's like it's actually 1,400 with a 600 square foot attic and you yes. can find other comps. Yeah. Exactly. Which that's going to yeah. be a different value. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that, that mm -hmm. changes things because when- Real estate agents do CMAs. I think they do them very broadly. Okay. What in this entire market area ever, all right, is like this? Cool. I'll pick the top four uh, prices without looking at them and say it's worth that, you know? And so that's that's what a lot of them come down to. It's like, this is- I don't do that. This is the absolute- <laughs> yeah. I'm maximal. friends with an appraiser. I don't do that. Yes. <laughs> Casey submitting half of this podcast, just defending her own position. <laughs> no, is, is that like, again, I, this is not all real estate agents. And when no, I sure. talk to friends of mine who are real estate agents, they're mad about this too. Yeah. Okay. I asked a good friend of mine uh, who's a real estate agent what was going on in the market. And she told me there's too many new agents out there don't that don't know what they're doing. <laughs> oh, no. That's what she told me. Yeah. Okay. And I said I agree, but, you know, only after she threw everybody else under the bus. So <laughs> it's, you know, it's that. So the, the third thing, and I think the thing that's more to the point of your question is unpermitted spaces. And like go over that because I've heard difference in terms of like it, you know, it has to just be done in a workmanlike manner or, right. you know, a, a conversion or whatever. Mm -hmm. What are you looking at when it comes to unpermitted? Is it like, well, it wasn't there when the house was first built. Now mm -hmm. it's there. We need permits. Or if it's like, hey, this right. looks professionally done. I'm just going to snap some pictures and call it good. Like, how is that from your All standpoint? Right. There's four tenants of highest and best use analysis, which is what we do. So the concept highest and best use analysis is that you've only properly valued something if you valued it at its highest and best use. Okay. And that has principles, physically possible, legally permissible, uh, financially feasible and maximally productive. Right. Those are the, those are the tenets of it. Right. Legally permissible is the, where all of these things that we're talking about right now fall under, which is unpermitted space. The reason that unpermitted space is not worth the same as permitted space 
is because insurance companies will not pay to rebuild unpermitted space. Okay. So, so, so when you get your house, you also get home insurance, mm-hmm. right? Which is based off of these things. So the two are, are interconnected. And so I can't give you your, uh, your unpermitted garage conversion as square footage, even if you did a really nice job, if you didn't permit it, because that amount of square footage, that 400 square feet in a 20 by 20 garage is worth more as square footage than as a garage. Mm-hmm. Until it's permitted. Right. Yeah. So once it's permitted, then it's just square footage, right? Okay. But if it's not permitted and it burns down, which is, again, something that we have to discuss in the appraisal report, right. they will not give you the money back for that. So if I say it's to worth it that. To fix it nice again. Yeah. So then your house burns down. Your loan doesn't change when your house burns down, right? right. So if your loan goes through and some appraiser who didn't know what they were doing or by other some circumstances, you have that space and you think it's square footage, they're not going to give you the money back to rebuild that. Right. And your house is going to be worth what it is rebuilt as. And therefore you're going to possibly be upside down on your loan because you burned down a 2000 square foot house and you rebuilt a 1500 square foot house. This is fascinating it's, yeah. it's, like, it's a, to like deep dive into that. Yeah. So, so that's like a, you bought it as say like a four bed, two bath house. Right. But really what you're replacing is a Right. Three bed, one, one bed. bath house yeah. with a garage. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was converted to a bedroom. That was converted. Right. Yeah. Right. But when you're repli- the replacement is, it's a three bed, one yes. bath house and a, a that garage. That is okay. Yeah. So really good to know. Yeah. So that's why. And so that's why sometimes what this turns into is okay, uh, you have a, a shop. Right. Mm -hmm. And then at some point in time, you put uh, some flooring down in it and you brought out a kitchenette and you put your mother-in-law in in there. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, that is not illegal to do, but it is also not legally a dwelling because it was never permitted. Right. And so then we get into this. Okay, what is its highest and best legal use? Okay, well, its highest and best legal use is finished storage. So you might have someone who says, hey. I have a home with an ADU because I t- took the shop and I converted it into this thing and I'm a contractor and I'm really good at it. And, uh, you know, most contractors don't really like the permitting process because it costs money and takes time. And so, you know, but I know what I'm doing and it's all to code. So I'm not really that worried about it. Well, you go to sell it and I pull county records as I do. And I go, well, this was a shop. You don't this have an ADU. Shop. Right. <laughs> and, so, and so you thought you were selling a house with an ADU and you were going to get seven for it. But it turns out what you're doing is you're selling a house with a shop that's got a nice floor in it. And those are worth totally different things because ADU being permitted gives it its value, not only from a like, you know, burn down, bring it back insurance standpoint, but also from being able to legally rent it mm-hmm. because you can't. And offset some, I mean, yeah. that's like a yeah. Three-fourths of the appeal for people exactly. that are looking is either to get in, like some kind of a family member that needs help yeah. or, hey, I'm going to offset some of my mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And really quick to clarify, ADU means accessory dwelling unit. So Correct. it's like an additional dwelling on your property, on your property. so yeah. that you use either That's even got muddy now because they pass all these new laws about duplex, duplexes and median density housing. Middle housing. And so I, I have- Zoning laws and stuff yeah. that are going mm-hmm. up all over the place in Eugene specifically, yeah. Eugene Springfield. And so I'll get a, uh, I'll get a request for a report where they're asking- Asking me to do it as a duplex and you've got a 3000 square foot home and a 500 square foot ADU and they're like say do it as duplex and I have to argue with lenders and I don't know where that originates from 
I tend to. I don't know either, honestly. I've never. I personally have never had that argument yeah, or discussion. I, I've had. I've had it a couple times, and I, I win because there is a, a, a description of it, which <laughs> is an ADU correct. is subservient to the main home. Right. So if there is mm -hmm. an obvious difference, whether it be size, quality, condition, all right, between the two then the lesser of the two is considered an ADU. If it was 16 and 1400 square feet, then it's sure, duplex. It's 2500 and 500. Yeah, it's very different. And so <laughs> yeah. there's plenty of places out West Eugene where there's, for whatever reason, there's two houses on one lot that are virtually identical. Okay, fine. Duplex, call it. It's fine. Detached duplex. Yeah. Units, right? Yes. But, you know, if it's obvious, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's not how we're going to do things. Yeah. And what kind of value is added for, like, would you say, is there like for an ADU that is put on a property or somebody who like wants to build something on their, you know, on their lot and they're trying to get something, is there a, there's probably not like a standard value, there's obviously, not that, that gets, but. a standard value. I did a bunch, I was just, I did a private job for people who were, it's an investment group that own a piece of property. Everybody owns a share. One of the owners elected to on their own build an ADU on that and he wanted to know what like how much value he added right so that they could redistribute their shares of their ownership in the property right so they're just trying to make it fair uh, so I spent a lot of time on this very question and so uh, I came out to like I think it was don't you know $120,000 which is way way less then that guy paid for it. I, yeah. I think that I've heard estimates that you're paying probably two to two fifty for a good ADU these days. And it's adding one hundred and twenty thousand yeah. dollars of value. And and so to answer the question of like, hey, I want to improve the value of my home, should I build an ADU? The answer is no. And you don't have to take my word for it. Okay, go out to Coburg, look at the new Weicker development. Mm -hmm. Okay, are there any ADUs in it? Yep. No. Go out to Dr. Horton. Are they building any with ADUs? Yeah, no. Absolutely not. No. Why would you when you can just cut a smaller lot and build a whole nother house mm -hmm. and sell it for more? You know? Yeah. So it, it's not happening with people who are investing. People who are doing, who are flippers are not also adding ADUs, right? If like, again, it goes back to what do you want your house? To be? If you want an ADU because you have a kid in college that you think is going to stick around for a little bit, or you got an aging parent, or you just want to supplement your income. Because from an income perspective, it might make a little bit of sense. Yeah, like if you, from yeah. an investor yeah. standpoint, in terms of not necessarily sure. the home itself, mm -hmm. but building something that you can then get, so, you know, resell, re right. not like so those. much. Yeah, I mean, but not necessarily the resale value. You'd know this better than me. What do you think if you took out a side loan of 250, sorry, $250,000 to build an ADU? Right. What's that payment going to run me right now? Current interest rates. Just ballpark. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't do math. Yeah. On this podcast, I mean, if you just like if you owned your home free and clear, for example, uh -huh. and you're like, I'm going to do a cash out refinance at like six and a half percent or whatever. Right. Uh, let's just call it like, I don't know, like two grand, two grand. OK, cool. So what you have from an investment standpoint, if you just wanted to cash flow. Right, is that you're building like a 600 square foot house in your backyard where your kids play. And you'd have right? to make that more you have to that. rent to someone for two grand plus utilities. Right. Yeah. And there are areas in Eugene where you can do that, but there's not a lot. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's the right way to do things as far as money goes. That figure, the 120 came from paired sales analysis that also happened to be uh, in the Ferry Street Bridge market area over by Oakwood Golf Course, because that was the sole paired sale I could find. Okay. okay? That was the other question. And so I'm going to go in on real estate agents for a second here <laughs> for the first time this podcast. I'm, taking, uh, I'm just taking it all taking for, it the, on the for my industry. So, information. I, I would like anybody out there who's a real estate professional to know that we read your listings. 
and what you say on them matters. For example, I would love it if you would stop talking about how close to shopping things are so that I can find a shop when I'm looking for one. Because you can filter oh. by remarks, public and private, right? And look for shop. For whatever reason, you can search for, you can do second garage as a filter, but nobody in real estate marks a shop as a second garage. So you have to filter by remarks to find a shop. And what you get is 900 things mentioning shopping. Okay. Oh, Close to Target. Oh, right. Gosh. Exactly. Here's the other thing is that please make your listing based off of what is actually there and not what could be there. Mm -hmm. Because if I search for ADU, do you know what I find? Big backyard. You could build an ADU. Check with the county. You know? <laughs> Interesting. So and, that verbiage actually makes your job oh, harder. It muddies the water. Okay. Now, now, when I... I'm I'm a member of the Eugene area realtors. I have to be in order to have access to MLS. Mm -hmm. So I took the class that everybody else has to take with a bunch of real estate agents. And they informed us that if you have an ADU, there is a thing called dual living. All right. It's a check mark, yes or no, that you can put on your house. Now, use that for ADUs because dual living doesn't mean there's a family room over there that we can put grandma in. Because that's what we <laughs> see is it might be a split level home and the bottom level has a kitchenette in it. Now it's dual living, you know, so there is no good way to filter data for ADU, not ADU. There Interesting. Isn't Interesting. And, and it is because real estate agents have failed to consistently label them. Okay. They're the ones making okay. the listings. I'd love to take the fall on this one, guys. I really would. <laughs> but I have never made a listing. I do read them for most of my day. Yeah, right. That's what I do. Yeah. And so... If there were a consistent way to mark ADU, how is there not an ADU button? I don't know. We don't know. Yeah. But there's, MLS, there's, if you're listening. There's, yeah, there's second. Like search engine optimization. <laughs> yes, there is. You can do a uh, second residence. That's one of the things mm -hmm. you put on there. People don't always do that. Uh, there is, oh, what are the other ones? Second residence, guest house. Uh, guest quarters, I guess it is. Did you even know any of this though? Like that, uh, when your verbiage that you were using potentially would flag. No, and make the I don't think so that. So I don't know. think appraisers really even know that. Well, no one's thinking about appraisers, which is interesting when they're selling a house. Well, just I mean, I don't know how common knowledge is. Like, hey, I'm searching by these parameters, oh. and you're entering these parameters that are making what I'm doing more difficult. Yeah. I can't imagine that most realtors even realize that that's the case. They're just trying to sell the house. Yeah, and, not, and, you and know. I get it. That is your job. And that's why I'm kind of insulted sometimes when I have to argue <laughs> with the real estate agent about values because it's like, yeah. what you guys do is different, right? Mm -hmm. Your specialty is marketing and selling properties. And I would never step on your toes about doing that, okay? Right. You also do some pricing. Okay. Yeah. But you know who else does that? The buyer and the seller. True. And the buyer will say, well, I, I it's got to sell for this. And the seller will say, I can only pay that. And so it's this big group work. And I always thought that real estate agents were supposed to guide people towards reasonable outcomes. Because going back to what kills deals, it's real estate agents being like, well, you know, maybe it'll appraise for this. And that does fall on, uh, you know, appraisers because I, I, I can hear somebody yelling somewhere, well, appraisers aren't consistent. This appraiser measured it this much square feet, and this <laughs> yeah. appraiser said it was this condition. And yeah, okay, fine. But we all use your listings, though. Managing yeah. <laughs> expectations is a lot of, I mean, that going into like working with Casey and myself, mm -hmm. that, that's a lot of what a good realtor and a good 
lender should be communicating with you up front. Yeah. Should be talking with people about we now, because the market is shifting at a place where now homes are declining in value or like staying steady and not, you know, kind of holding Mm -hmm. that now for the first time in about three or four years, I have gotten underwriters to question and like, like, Hey, this is actually, or like this is coming in lower than what we thought it was. Mm -hmm. Or an appraiser comes in, like they're supporting this, but like, we're really not seeing that same consistent data. So mm-hmm. now we have to go back and say like, well, you said it was worth four. We're actually only seeing 380 from like all this stuff that whatever they, so Can some conflict about that, please. Yeah. yeah. So what is the, who is getting you values on the lender side? That is my, my, cause I have people at lenders that come back and they say, Hey, I, we, this feels high. We have an underwriting review process mm-hmm. where I think, I believe they have automated systems okay. and it, it almost, I mean, this is sincerely like it happened like twice in the last six months and it's mm-hmm. the second or third time in the 11 years almost I've been doing this. Mm-hmm. Where it came back and it was like, the appraiser said it was worth X amount, which anytime an appraiser comes in an appraisal, I'm like, yay, we got the value. Good. That's wonderful. They're the expert. And then that comes to the lending side and they're like, we have uh, whatever other data automated systems where they're like, it's actually showing that like there's a decline in the specific market or there's, Mm -hmm. and then we have to have these conversations where now I'm having to prep borrowers and I'm like, just so you know, we're going to get the appraisal back. And we're going to double check it on everything that we have to. Mm -hmm. And again, this isn't even like, I'm not specifically looking at it and be like, no, the appraiser's wrong. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) has these checks and balances. Of course, yes. So I think the underwriting is also under the scrutiny of if an appraiser values something over and then the bank comes back and they're like, no, 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 like we don't agree with this or whatever, then all of a sudden that's a big mess. And I I think that protection was likely built in from the crash in 08 Mm -hmm. of like, they're doing everything from every angle to protect their investment. Yeah. So all I hear is that like, oh, underwriting is saying that there are some sort of reports that do not line up with the value that received from the appraiser. We have to go back with what we have to, and maybe you've seen this once or twice Mm -hmm. where the lender's almost like, this is too high. Or yeah. something. They would never say it exactly like that. But I do get interesting uh, revision requests. The revision requests have gotten there. The, the theory on the appraisal side of things is that because things are slow right now, underwriters are working really hard to explain to people why they have a job because there's not enough work or there's not as much work. Right. And so if your job is to go find errors and there's not a lot of work coming in, Maybe you're spending a lot more time on this report trying to find something because I've had just today, I sent back two reports where they asked me to do something. And then I just told them like, no, it's not how this works. Right. You know, if if, I say this a lot in revision, as stated in the original report, you know, and and it's like, that's the biggest middle finger. (laughs) That is as rude as I feel comfortable being in these things. I have written, I, I, I do that thing where you write it and then delete it. And then you write the real thing (laughs) because save it in the drafts for a day and wait. Yeah. 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 So, and I can say from the lending standpoint that like sincere, at least as far as directors go, I couldn't speak for all lenders and all underwriters and everything is that I sincerely like that has only come back. It actually isn't, it came back on me once and it was very, very small and ended up being worked out, but it's happened to other people in my office where it was like, it happened twice in a row. And so then they were like, 
it very much sincerely though felt like a version of protection mm-hmm. for not just the underwriter like saying like you know because they're putting their stamp also on like i've signed off on all conditions including like that this valuation and everything that we received that mm-hmm. like basically the bank's loan is as good as secure right. as secure as it can be based on all these guidelines so i'd like to say at least from what i can envision or the communication i get is that the end result is them protecting whatever they're trying yeah. to lend. Yeah. But I can assume that there is some version of yeah. like, I'm just picking at stuff to do because I've, I'm when, not very yeah. busy right now. When we get revision requests that goes through two rounds. So we send it to the AMC. The AMC has underwriters. They've checked to make sure everything's good. And then they send it to the lender and the lender has requirements. So it'll say who has a problem with what's going on. Yes. Like the lender review panel or whatever. They always review it with their AMC folks that we have Mm -hmm. and then send it to me. Yeah. And it's it's just always interesting though because like, okay, I had one today. I'll just give you like a a day in the life. I had a, a report that I did. It's like rural Crestwell. And I turned it in and it's zoned E30 exclusive farm use, but it's got six acres uh, and it's a 30 acre minimum within that zoning. The house is older. All right. And so it's like you put legal nonconforming grandfathered use in there. Then there's a statement that I put in it when this happens, which is that it's it doesn't fit the requirement of the zoning that it's in. All right. And it's an extraordinary assumption of this report that it is a grandfathered use, because if I want to check with Lane County Records, it's like two weeks. And it costs right. a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. And that's outside the scope of this assignment. And so I've used that. So there are some presumptions here yes. about what I'm talking about. Yeah. It has to be because yes. if you said verify it with Lane County, I would say, okay, cool. You don't want this to happen. You want to yeah. Because your close date's going to come and go before they even yeah. call me back. Yep. Right. You'd like so, to extend it definitely? Yeah. Perfect. Great. Excellent. So, Great. So we they send it. that to me as a revision, even though I use the statement in every situation that's this thing. You know, I've got, there it goes. All right. Now I've set, told them the truth about what's going on here. And they send it back and they said, we need you to verify it. And so then I had to write back, it's beyond <laughs> everything I just told you, it's beyond the scope. And then they accept it. And it's like, what? Yeah. What <laughs> because there's a scorecard. Appraisers have scorecards. Yes. We get emails from lenders that say, this is your average turn time. This is how what percentage of your reports have revisions. This is what percentage of your reports have extra revisions. This is how many reconsiderations of value you've gotten. And those impact how many jobs we get and therefore how much money we make. And so when an appraiser gets a frivolous like reconsideration of value or frivolous revision, we're testy about it. Sure. A little bit. Yeah. Rightfully so. Because they are. You're being kind of checked in those yeah. checks yeah. and balances. So yeah. I listen, I make mistakes, right? I'm trying my best. I get mixed up. I get biased. I get, you know, these things. I think it's going this way. I find one really good comp and I put blinders on. You know, the, these things happen. Not super often, but they happen. And if you catch me doing something wrong, let me know because I don't want to lose my license. Right? Right. 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 If you give me a revision and I fix it, I'm good. I'm in the clear. Right. And yeah. that's how the system's supposed to work. And that's why I appreciate for the most part, underwriters, because underwriters are protecting me as well by yeah. making sure that I'm following all the rules. And there's a lot of them. And sometimes I miss them or forget them or whatever the case may be. Right. And I appreciate that there's that additional safety net that says, oh, by the way, we need a statement about why you've got comps in here that are more than 90 days old. We need you to justify why you had to go 15 miles away to find a comp. Yes. We need you to explain these things to us more because whatever reason it wasn't in the original report or wasn't as thorough as they would prefer. I like that. It's important because I like my job and I right. very much like to keep right. it. Right. And the point of everybody listening is you are listening to three people 
who like and care about their jobs. Yes. Very, very much so. And work very hard. go above and beyond for <laughs> yeah. those purposes. Yes. We like doing what we do. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, Joe, this was... Um, Super informative. Very informative. <laughs> very awesome. I'm not offended. We're still friends. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> no. worried about that. I know you just were. Just yeah. Just barely. No. Uh, but yes, this was great information. I know it's like a lot of information and, you know, some of it's going to be you know, kind of geared more toward people in our industry that might, you know, be like, oh, wow, that's stuff I didn't know. But also just nice to paint a picture for those people who are having a pretty done homes. on their home that like you're not coming, you're not judging, you're observing. Yeah. And I'm, you're really giving them like a value you're the good guy to here. their home. Like yeah. really. Yeah. So we and, appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Just make sure your house doesn't smell. That's all I'm that's asking all, for. That's, that's all like... I'm asking for. That's a fair request. <laughs> that's your... a fair. Open a crack a window. That's fine. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. I make that request too, yeah. please. Yeah. <laughs> I think all of us make that request. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not everybody's heard it. Uh, so yeah. you got to gotta keep up with that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being our first official guest. My pleasure. Yes. And thank you, everybody, for listening today. Yeah. We'll catch you in the next one, guys. Yeah.